0: Hi, this is Laura, and this is Luli, and you are listening to Astella Around the World.
1: We will be zooming out of Brazil to explore the worlds of extraordinary global tech thought leaders in a deep dive into their stories, their inspirations, views on tech investing, and perspectives on the different aspects and trends happening in the local and global tech ecosystems.
0: ASTELLA is an early stage Brazilian-based VC. Stay tuned and welcome to ASTELLA Around the World!
1: Hi, everyone. So today on the show, we have Christina Lopez. Hi, Christina. Hi, Carolina. I'm so happy to be here. So are we, let me introduce her with a quick bio. So Christina is the CEO and founder of the One Health Company and is revolutionizing how drugs and medical devices come to market by reimagining how animal testing is done. Before creating One Health, Christina specialized in emerging markets as an investor at Cerebras Capital, Credit Suisse, and as a lecturer at Columbia University. She acted as a consultant for the United Nations and has sat on a couple of nonprofit boards, as well as being the board director for the International Planned Parenthood Federation. She was honored young global leader at the World Economic Forum at Davos in 2010. She graduated from University of Massachusetts in English literature and attended uh, courses at Princeton and received a master in international affairs at Columbia. Welcome, Christina. We're very excited to have you on the show. For who's curious, Christina is also Brazilian, but has been in the U.S. for a long time, so I would say she's also a gringa. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah, we're excited to get to know you.
0: I'm so happy. Thank you so much for joining us on this conversation. It is an honor to have you here. I was listening to Carolina on your bio and I The feeling was that I would need uh, days of uh, 48 hours to accomplish uh, everything that you did in your life. So um, impressive and congratulations for your journey. And we're curious to dig into your trajectory and uh, understand how you built your your career. So you started in uh, banking. From Cambridge, uh, Bank Boston, Lehman Brothers to uh, Credit Suisse, looking at emerging markets and then uh, an advisor in EBX and of at uh, Columbia University Institute for Latin America on the topic. Please tell us a bit more about that journey and the specialization in emerging markets that you built um, on your early days.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, fantastic. I mean, basically, I'm kind of, um, how can I say, a hunter for unmet needs, matching where there's true, genuine, almost for humanity, let's say, unmet needs, and then bridging that to the deep pockets of capital, deep pockets of, let's call it, resources, technology, idea, ideas, people. And that's kind of like my thinking. So that's driven. That's been very consistent. It's partially my mother is from Dublin, from Ireland, and my dad's from Brazil. And they met in MIT in the 60s in Boston. So I already came kind of as a bit of a mix. And looking at the world from an international lens, I think by the age of 10, I'd already lived in three countries and probably think continents. you know. So I was looking at the differences in the world. And. You know, growing up in the 80s in Brazil, you really saw very harsh uh, realities of hyperinflation. I believe the first democratically elected president of that time, you know, it was just very different circumstances versus going to the U.S. And at the time, Ireland had its own struggles, but basically gave me a canvas. So with that, I was very inclined to leverage that my positioning in the world as a global citizen, truly, with a lot of Brazilian bias to close the gaps. And I focused mostly between, for a long time, let's say, the U.S. or the big, like let's say, capital pockets in Brazil. But I also did deals in Vietnam, in Turkey, Russian real estate. I mean, I really did emerging markets for real, especially at uh, Credit Suisse. And then I leaped into the role of more investor, which I really wanted because I wanted to drive the capital and drive the thesis and be at the table in that sense because frankly i think um you know it's so few people. people folks don't understand that banks have like so many people when you go to any of these funds it's almost like the more assets under management the less people <laughs> so it's very few people making big decisions and i wanted very much to be at the table and it was unusual because i was at cerberus capital which was a very particular type of fund And at the same time, I was an advisory board director at Planned Parenthood for the Western Hemisphere. So it was very different and very unusual to be um, the chair of uh, Cerberus Capital was uh, Secretary Snow and Vice President Dan Quayle. So very specific, like American viewpoints of the world. And then I'm on Planned Parenthood, you know, helping women (laughs) across the hemisphere. So it was very different, but I actually liked it. I liked that diversity of thinking, of vision. I never wanted to be that person who's in a box, who's like plain vanilla. Some people do that and it's fantastic, but I was just never that person. Like I didn't wake up like my co-founder, two years old, I want to do this. You know what I mean? Very linear. Like, no, I'm not like that.
1: That's very interesting. Yeah, total global citizen perspective. And it has lots of its advantages, right? So we'd love to get into a little bit about your experience in emerging markets a little bit later on. But something really spiked our attention, which is that looking at your trajectory while you were lecturing at Columbia University, that's just looking at that, we see that's the time when you became a consultant for United Nations for Women's Health And then you were on the advisory board for Planned Parenthood as you shared with us. And we're gonna get into your current day, right? Which you're totally in the health tech scene. Is this when your interest in health started emerging? It started, I mean,
2: definitely Planned Parenthood because there had been a shortage of birth control in the whole country of Chile. So there was no birth control, zero. And it was due to a global shortage of drugs. And literally, we had to think of maybe creating a drug company, a pharma company in India to solve the problem. And it was that dire. And so you start to see these things and you start to think, wow, so much of it is not about creating new technology. It's about the last mile of care and making sure you close the gap. And if you care about patient survival, if you care about people, you really do care about the last mile. And I think with COVID, this has become super clear. But it wasn't as clear to me. It was very clear by seeing this, right? The resources sometimes are there. Even the capital sometimes is there. It's a matter of sometimes logistics, planning, thinking ahead. I mean, it's crazy, you know, you think it's, the no, it's so many things. So I got very into this last mile. And then separately, I did some healthcare deals while being in finance or, you know, so I was a bit getting exposure And then I worked specifically on one biotech deal, and it actually had a specific situation between Silicon Valley and Brazil because of a molecule. And I was very intrigued and loved it. And I think it's one of those things, once you get into it, you get very into it. And I think the other part is, you know, life sciences and like, especially I'm now here in Palo Alto in the U.S., it's one of those industries that was coming from emerging markets. I think the whole US, like US, like healthcare market is probably bigger. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean it's huge it's you know what I mean the trillions so i didn't actually realize the opportunity was so vast it could have been something maybe earlier i would have joined earlier on i just had like no idea i was doing oil and gas and infrastructure and and those are super key things but it's once i found like went into more healthcare it was very intriguing the opportunity and the opportunity to do both things you know to really address unmet needs and turn those into massive opportunities so close the gap from a capital front, people, technology.
0: And Christina, how your experience in, as a managing director at uh, Severus, um fit into all this journey? So, Because in between uh, living in the U.S., you spent some time in Brazil and you ended up at the fund which is actually, by the way, huge uh, for alternative investing, around uh, $53 in asset under management. How does this uh, experience fit into what uh, you were looking for at that time, and how did it shape your career towards the move to be a founder?
2: Actually, probably a really critical step within all of that, but related, was actually, I was honored young global leader at the World Economic Forum at Davos, and you're part of a class, and in that class, you get a lot of uh, leadership opportunities, like help, like basically there's a course at Harvard that they pay it's 10 days and it's very deep and it's, it's, everything is signaling for you to go create, <laughs> you know, they really want to take folks to take risk. They really want that, you know, so they really nurture getting out of the comfort zone. So there was that directionality was definitely in that group, like no question, pretty strongly so i remember the first meeting i went to was actually in india and i was designing like a health tech like app just on like the lunch, you know, I was like thinking about it. And like, I wasn't involved really in tech in that sense at all. So I was already thinking, and I remember laughing that in India, when they said mobile health, they meant an app. <laughs> in Planned Parenthood in Haiti, it meant like actually mobile, like a little truck, you know? <laughs> so, or in Bolivia, I was really intrigued by these things. And actually just to connect, because it goes on the last question too, you just also globally, you become so aware of things. And then when you it's a class every year, they call it YGLs at Davos, and you meet people from all over the world. And for example, with Planned Parenthood, that already become aware that Bolivia has one of the highest cervical cancer rates in the world. And in the first world, that's something highly preventable by pap smears, and there's a vaccine. So it's really a gap of closing this. So you start to think about all those things. But I would say the whole Davos thing was very important for me to kind of move away from you know if you think I was in finance and then went more in the investing side I was going towards founding you know what I mean so just going like different horizons yeah. and I also felt from my own growth that it was important to understand what it's like to be an operator because remember when you're in finance and investing like you're not operating so It felt important to get into operating. Like, what is that like, really? I remember my dad used to make fun of me, you know, and I would go to Brazil and tell me, you know, you're sitting there in New York, because of Credit Suisse, I was in New York City, and you don't know where the entrance and the exit of a factory would be. Like, you wouldn't even know, right? So I started learning that, and I would serve as going more private equity. I got more into backing, you know, assets, like, so I got more involved, would go visit, got into it but even then you're still remote a bit and I have served on boards again governance interesting but you're still right so this is my operating and managing people creating culture I don't know if that answers exactly your question but it's it's the trend
0: <laughs> it does answer and uh, it came to me another question that you mentioned about uh, your training on leadership and the operating role How was that when you started your own startup? How was that to find out what would be your leadership style and and all the challenges uh, and uncertainties of uh, building a a company from scratch? And how does experience help you on on your startup in the days that you started?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I really um, am. It's like a, a journey. It's not like really... Um, And some people have been operating for 10 years will be a founder. So there's really different. I definitely was not. So that was a pretty steep learning curve for me. Some things that are operational, my team, even to today makes fun, like it doesn't even come on my radar. (laughs) So I'm really learning. But the parts that I think I came with that I really cared and I think are big impacts and quite consistent is I've always been a mission person, you know? I never wasted my time doing like one more thing that anyone else could do. I always was involved with big issues, even some of the things, you know, with EBX and all of that, In part of creating IPOs, right? I was one of the teams leading an IPO, right? So I was the person who went to pitch it. I felt I'm creating capital markets in a place that really needs it. So I always felt a very big mission uh, and there was obviously infrastructure and natural resource repercussions, but I never really did things in vain. And I think that is a very big deal because that you can wake up and be energized every day. I am that kind of person. Like nobody would say I don't have energy I got and I'm inspired and I want to inspire. So I would say I really, this kind of, my background gave me that. It gave me a lot of perspective Some things that folks would be very risk averse to, I'm taking a lot of risk, but I always took, see, I wasn't really a banker ever. I I did, uh, I was in trading floors. I really am more of that type, take risk. And I almost want to write in my job descriptions for my company, must be a risk taker. (laughs) Um, So I like that. I like creating the culture. I like thinking about it. I think what it takes to be, you know, from the startup point of view, I think that's fascinating. And basically, in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of thinking around that. And I'll tell you, it's not fluff, the culture stuff, it's actually what will make or break the company. Because especially now, everyone remote, you know, you don't have that much, you can't just go and do a happy hour or karaoke and everybody's silly and bond. You don't really, can't really do that. So, you really need the culture and the tenants and that alignment, like over and over and over again in order to to really build the company because it's ultimately so intellectual. It's so who are the people and the thinking. It's less like I'm not working anymore and writing natural resources where it's like you have iron ore and you have oil. It's the price (laughs) of that. Like Like everything else is secondary. Like it really is like we just work in desks and computers. Like we have a completely dry lab. So the culture is kind of everything and you want a mixture of integrity. That's very important because you want to build trust, but you also want daring. So that's the part that's kind of a different thing, right? There's lots of companies about to go fast and break things, but when you're helping advanced life sciences and health, you you can't really be like that, you know, maybe you have (laughs) to be careful. So. There's a mixture, but you can't be too conservative because then you're just going to do the status quo and we're actually, we're disruptors of the status quo completely. So
1: basically, it's kind of a fine balance. Totally. No, you said everything. And there's a quote that I loved. And ever since I heard it, I remind myself all the time that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So you can have any strategy you want, but always there's a the culture that's on the command, right? That's really well put because if I think about it, we're very into
2: responsiveness, and we the companies run like a tech company, so there's like no dropping balls that just no. No, really, no. Like, really, no. <laughs> so there's always a ticket. Unless the patient, like, died, like, <laughs> the ticket is open. Basically, we are kind of run it like that and we have that attentiveness. And, and you really do need that culturally and people who share that because you might come at Saturday, you know, not that you want to create overwhelming work culture, but you want to, people have to be, like, into it and, and see it. it's a responsibility, And I think responsibility is a privilege. Eye on the ball. (laughs) yeah, But it's a privilege to have a responsibility. You know what I mean? To have the responsibility. And you have to really understand that. And that's a part that's not, you know, you have to get the right people (laughs) to.
1: So now that we're already getting into One Health, uh, we want to learn more. So we see you're building a revolutionary method aimed at Tikkun Olam, healing the world. Tell us a little bit about this journey that began back in 2014. A little bit about tikkun olam everything that you guys are doing <laughs> yeah so that's funny i don't wonder where you got that one from but i mean it's true so
2: you know this idea of healing the world I and mean, that's a judaic concept and basically the idea has probably been of one health so first of all one health is a movement and it's really around you know what are the shared uh, health and disease aspects that are shared across species There are different things like, for example, elephants live a long life, they're huge, they're under the sun, but they don't get as much cancer. Like, why is that? Well, it turns out they have more productive copies of a certain gene, things like that are, there's a whole world of interest in that. So we took a very specific kind of slice of that, which is we look at dogs, they get so much cancer, it's the number one disease killer. Pet dogs like our best friends, our family members, and they are actually used in research, right? Mm -hmm. Like for to advance all the everything that comes out. And there's so many great advancements over the last especially 20 years. And then the dogs don't really benefit from any of that. We thought, wow, that's something broken that we could fix. On the other hand, research and development, right, to bring this innovation to the world relies on lab animals, you know, like usually it's mice. And it just, everything works in the mice and then it fails in humans. So there's a very high failure rate and especially in oncology between the animal models and that are in a lab and then to humans in the clinic, right? There's like a huge thing. And then to compound that, just to say, because I'm here in Silicon Valley, right? I'm in very big bio fund, Andreessen Horowitz BioFund, that's really bridging bio and engineering you have a big revolution happening on the world, like bio life sciences, leaving a more almost artisanal world, like very you know particular person looking at things in a petri dish. It's leaving that, and it's going to a very accelerated mode that we haven't seen entirely yet. You see it in Moderna with the vaccine you know, the machines printing it, but it's a revolution with CRISPR and everything. I mean, it's really another story. So you're going to have an AI. So you have a plethora of like basically things that are, you know, already coming online And how are you going to generate data before that goes into humans or after even it goes to humans and you need to figure out, oh, wow, this should be a combination of therapies, not a monotherapy. So you need to really understand things. And um, the world just went to a next level on that. And at the same time, with COVID, dogs became from best friend to family. And folks are more aware of cancer in dogs. Maybe they had cancer and I'll see it in their dog and are like, wait, this is my best friend, my family member. I need better tools. I'm not just going to give old-fashioned chemo and pay a lot of money and see my dog suffer. So it's kind of at the very high level what the worlds we bring together and how we bring it together, I think is a clever part where we bring a whole suite of precision medicine to pet dogs through a key product called PhytoCure. And that we're already in the market. We work with 500 clinics about in the United States, veterinary clinics. We work with top key opinion leaders. And we've enrolled over 2,000 dogs. So basically, there's a patients, And that's the key thing is when you make the dog a patient, no longer a subject in like a lat object. You know what I mean? And no longer also just, so oh, it's the dog. What are you going to do? Cancer, too bad really a patient um, really can get very huge data set out of that and really understand things. So we built a learning data set. We learn with each dog, every patient that comes in, we bring the forefront of technology from genomics to targeted therapies to the dog. We bring like very high quality and we still do it under the national chemo average. We still do it accessible. It's very accessible. And basically in the back of that, we're, we're generating data sets. So we're learning more about the dog so we can accelerate more cures. And we're learning where's the dog in canine and human cancer very similar. And actually we know where it's very similar and we have a big paper coming out, a manuscript where it's more similar than we thought. That we have the hypothesis it's similar, it's more. So that creates now a whole opportunity of reimagining animal testing, reimagining the dog as a patient, really with woman's rights to get better care, and how those two go together. And I know it sounds crazy what I'm saying, it is a little bit. I won't say that it's the everyday company. No, not even here. No, no. But we already worked, and this is public information, with a global pharma company, you know, ASI from Japan, but they have uh, entities here in the United States, a global company. And we interrogated one of their cancer drugs. They wanted to look at, can it work in another cancer type? So we interrogated the dog that has, gets a lot of certain tumors and don't have options. And we generated evidence and helped the dogs, help the families. And basically, this drug is now at Mass General in Boston in phase three, so pretty advanced, to help a rare tumor type for humans that doesn't have many options. So... This both sides of the leash is kind of how we think about it. We're already doing it. Like it left being just a
0: crazy thing. (laughs) That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, how is the interconnection between what you are doing and between the people or the farmers that are researching the cancers for humans? And how is the link between what uh, the testings that you're doing and you're aiming to treat uh, dogs to all the process that needs to prove that it's safe for humans as well? How does that work?
2: One, we already exist academic world that looks at these similarities between human cancer and canine cancer. So we partner with those folks like the Broad Institute of Harvard, MIT, you know, is where some of our key scientific advisors are. And specifically one of the people decoded the canine genome. So like she really knows. (laughs) So I don't know, we kind of demystified it. Like we made it kind of simple in our head. Like we didn't overthink it too much, but we're very careful about safety first, you know? So the human paradigm, there's a lot of protection for safety. So that's a big thing. And, And for us, we had to make sure the safety for dogs, for pet dogs. So we have a whole group that just looks and evaluates dosing And we have data that we feel comfortable. So it's very, very entirely like no poisoning dogs, like safe, safe, safe. And you can do it, you know? And there's classes of drugs. The class of drugs we work with, targeted therapies are actually, you can't really overdose um, unless the dog took a whole thing. But, you know, chemo, you put it in, you can't get it out. These drugs, they actually metabolize a certain way. So we're very mindful. Remember that last mile of care is everything. We're very careful about how does this get to the clinic? How does it get to the dog? How does it get to the families? Everyone who loves the dog. And then how do we get the data back? How do we quantify? There are folks who look at the similarities and help us. And then we also early on had an amazing founding advisor, Dr. Amy Abernathy. She just stepped down from the FDA. She was a deputy commissioner, and she really brought. She's the key opinion leader in the world of real-world evidence. So it's this idea of generating evidence in the real world in order to accelerate R and D. And she was in a company called Flatiron Health that was uh, bought by Roche. And we modeled a lot of our data set and how we ingested fire data, how we thought of the data set, how we draw what was really critical we created the canine version of that. And it's the, our, our data set is the largest in the world for canine cancer. And then we figure out where is it homologous with human cancer? You know, so that's kind Mm -hmm. of our job. But we're already figuring it out and impacting and helping folks accelerate um, R&D. You know, this world, if it takes 10 years to do a drug, it's like, we need to move it. Patients are waiting.
0: That's really interesting. And I mean, thinking that uh, you were part of uh, the financial markets and now you are kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and you received funding from um, Anderson Horowitz. It came to my mind that maybe one of the goals of a z to invest on your company was all the, the alternatives beyond what you're doing to the canons to treat human beings as well. Oh yeah,
2: we, we're we in the bio fund and I think we're the only, they, they do bio, the bio fund loves life sciences for humans. So I think they thought this is, um, And um I did a podcast with them and that it's really looking at how to help dogs and then thinking how the dog right? The canine data can help humans and really the oneness and the circular economy of it. And just a, yeah. you know, it's kind of part of really 21st century thinking and creating and um, they love flywheels. So there's obviously a very clear flywheel, right? As we get more information, the more we enroll pet dogs, the more data we get, that data gives us insights into more therapies, more diagnostics, right? that maybe can spin off to the human world and then we need to check, get more data. So we like, you know, it's like a really, it's a learning, absolutely. And now we have a pretty strong artificial intelligence unit behind all of this. First, we had to build the data set. Now we can apply. The AI techniques are amazing. They've really jumped ahead. So we already have results that show in my data set compared to human data sets, there are similarities between the canine cancer journey and the human cancer journey.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah, we'll be publishing on that too, but a little later this year. So definitely, yeah. I think all of our investors were thinking more, probably the human <laughs> impact. And it's come out that the whole pet animal health thesis has, I think COVID really helped that go up, but wasn't always such a big venture-like thesis. Now it is
1: more. That's awesome. We have a lot of listeners here in Brazil who are founders, and um, they would love to fundraise with prominent VC firms in Silicon Valley. And we know there's your secret behind it all, but what kind of advice would you give them throughout this journey?
2: I got into Y Combinator. That was really transformative. The same way like the Young Global Leader program at Davos was so transformative just in general. As, like, a person and kind of led me towards more going the founder journey. Y Combinator then helps you, really help me. I love the thinking, actually. Uh, the fundraising was really at the end. It was really the journey. I happened to have the blessing of really good partners. And I just love the journey, working things out, the kind of approach. Um, I'm a huge fan. And first of all, anyone can go, it's all in English, but anyone can go and you just go into YC. Like, they have. I think summer something and it's free and you can you know, like there's so many resources. Paul Graham, the founder, and his wife Jessica, they co founded it together and they're prolific. They write so much and then everyone else after that. So there's so many resources. And I think the key about YC is they just have incredible data. I mean, they just started this way and it's like fifteen year old, I think. Like they record everything, and just have incredible data. So they, like when they tell me something and I chose to just trust, you could be sit there and not really get into it. But like, I would ask kind of this or that, and they would say this or because blah, blah, blah. I went with it. I took that leap of faith a bit. And uh, I just think there is really no, <laughs> like, it's shocking to just really know the founder journey, right? They really get what implodes companies, that it's really usually suicide, not really homicide. Like, they really have their thinking and it's, it's very, I mean, I can say that I feel like even if I want to prove it wrong, it's like, it's just right, right, right. So they're really amazing. Um, so that was really transformative, but I'll be honest, you know, and I think COVID changed things so that it's more remote. And I think, you know, Brazil's doing better, for example. So I know at YC, they like Brazilian companies, I know, even at Andrewson Horowitz they've now done a few Brazilian deals but when we started thinking about this i won't say that was the case so we literally had to relocate so at a great investment and expense yeah so out of brazil to the east coast and then even the east coast wasn't really it we really had to come to silicon valley and i have two little kids it's very expensive
0: i didn't realize that you started here yeah impressive impressive
2: Yeah. So I really had to relocate because I came from capital markets. So I understood that market was unfavorable for founders. I had that sense because I could see the terms that people got. It didn't make sense. And part of being part of global community is that, right? Like you can look and see, does this look right or not? And then yeah, and then we came to the U.S. and then finally to Silicon Valley. And, I mean, for me, it was very transformative to move to Palo Alto to also to, to do this. I used to live in New York City, and it was very good for finance. And I went to Sao Paulo, which for what I was doing was very good. But to do what I'm doing, Palo Alto is excellent. Uh, and then Cambridge, Massachusetts, also really good. Uh, the more you go into life science, Cambridge is really good. But you're very radical in thinking and you're thinking a platform company, like a company that's going to have many utilities. Um, I would say Silicon Valley is like really it. And just the founder community, like I'm a mom of two little girls. And I go to a birthday party and the mom of the daughter is a Lux partner. You know what I mean? Like the other one has a company, comes over, mm. her little boy's playing with my little girl. And we're like, okay, I'm doing this biz dev deal. How do I price it? How do I structure it? But it's like morning on a night like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, lo- I love it. You know, someone else could not like it. I love it. I think it's the greatest thing. Because I can go to a birthday party, I can go to the park, I can have them over, my kids are there, I can see them, and I'm talking shock and I'm talking shop like non-stop but I really love it yeah. and I love that people think to mastermind <laughs> things yeah and I like ambition so I like the ambition here
0: I, I, I totally it. I mean it, we're feeling useful in a kid's birthday party is all we want right it's like amazing. no but here
2: it's like morning noon and night I go <laughs> drop off my kid I'm like oh yeah you know did you see that oh yeah okay yeah you're right oh, like oh my god <laughs> and you should see everyone rides their bike like it's the most Unpretentious place you ever see in your life in so much action it's very quiet very sunny pretty flowers and like so much action it's like shocking I love it I love the blend sometimes I miss the New York City even Sao Paulo has it too, more power you know like very the, no that none of that here like like no one even cares mm. it's a totally different vibe but there is a lot of ambition here though mm. and I like it I'm seeing an amazing phase of women, like leaders rising, women having their own funds, being partners in funds, like in the bio healthcare space, there's a lot of women driving the agenda. And I I completely love it. They're like, they want to be powerful, make the big investments, look good, be a mother. And I love it. I think that's great, like, like the whole thing do it all. Kind of, yeah.
0: yeah. And that's amazing how uh, life science attracts more women than other areas of uh, entrepreneurship. And it's so interesting, so great. I mean, I would
2: say it's still pretty male-dominated. So I don't know you know, if I think there's a big life science conference called J.P. Morgan. The J.P. Morgan the Bank does it, but they do it for the space in, in January yeah. in San Francisco. It's all men. So I wouldn't say it attracts more women. I would think there's it's a place that a lot of people have advanced degrees and a lot of women have advanced degrees. So maybe that's kind of maybe part of it. But I would say actually in tech, there's also a lot of women too. It's just I'm more in the healthcare bio. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's happening. It's really happening. So even in crypto, you know, the big A16Z fund has a woman co-founder in the fund. So it's happening everywhere is more my my statement. And I think it's really good because you need to see this more and generate it. And I mean, I have a blast. Like in that sense, I love it. That's
1: awesome. And on top of it all, right? Like breathing, living, everything like work and mission focus. Your co-founder is also your husband.
2: Yeah. He's now more of a board member, but yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's something I did notice at Y Combinators that a lot of the women founders were founding with husband, boyfriend, fiance, something like that. So that was one thing that I think has become better now, but I still caught a bit like, you know what I mean? You need that. And for us, going back to your question of Tikkun Olam, like we do feel an ethical, moral sense of the world and life basically like we really have that shared like sense of belonging and vision and helping so that's very strong so it's like kind of like we're for sure gonna work together you know what i mean like we have to work Mm -hmm. together like we had to build it together and to do also something so unusual i remember telling him when we were doing white combinator I mean, we're crazy to be married doing this, but I also don't know how someone not married does this <laughs> because you have to like really be in sync and aligned and thinking together. So, I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but I really thought that I was like, wow. And why Combinator was founded by a couple. It was kind of unusual because I thought I'm walking in to see these dudes with the hoodie and in a way you know here are the co-founders and jessica takes a role and um i think some of the companies that came to talk uh were actually coincidentally husband and wife <laughs> like, so it was really unusual i was like more surprised there's a very famous company here house that's very famous husband and wife uh and so so i think there's some um it makes sense i think there's just all different ways that i mean so many different ways in which a company is gonna flourish. Like nobody really knows, right? Like ten years will know that we make the right decision here and there.
0: I totally agree. And um I would love to understand the the routine after post investment. How is the relationship with the fund and uh, how do they help you? What kind of uh, recurrency that you have in terms of uh, contact and meetings with them and, and this kind of things? I suppose a lot of people that is listening to us are very curious about it.
2: Uh, I mean, it's actually very supportive, you know, I mean, I think that's part why we moved here was this kind of ecosystem support that I now know, like, I think there's more in Brazil for sure. And, but basically, I mean, A16Z specifically, and Horowitz, they have a whole platform for talent, for uh, corporate development, I mean, finance. So you can kind of lean on them a lot. So they're very part of the story. They're really part of the narrative. I was just on Saturday they did one of the biofunded one of the first events and forever. You had to do a COVID test, PCR to get in, you know, wait in a room <laughs> and then go. But Mark Andreessen was there. He's like on the board of Facebook, you know, like he's a huge reader and we can talk about books and things like that. I mean, but then for the company, oh yeah, they want you to win, you know, so they want people that are driven and are asking questions and are there to go next. Um, so they've been incredible total community family. And one of the biggest things I would say as an advice is in these funds is that you meet other amazing founders. So sometimes the community of the founders is even more important. It's honestly all good, but the founders are so incredible that you really it's like you don't even know which one is is more um the community aspect that they specifically build uh, the platform they have i mean I, I think it's specific to them not all the funds have these platforms are really extraordinary but i still keep in touch with Y combinator not as much because i've kind of gone later stage and then we raised the last round from Polaris in Boston. And it's actually the partner he founded, really, like Venture Capital in Boston. So he's super, he's just seen it all, right? Like just very nurturing, a very different type of fund, not so much this whole platform, but very nurturing, will make introductions, uh, very good in healthcare and life sciences. So it's really good. But I'll tell you something, even our smaller funds... I'll do a shout out for Amici, Amit yeah. from Tao. Yeah. They're like incredible, you know, they're like real thought partners really can talk to them in a pickle in a good times. Right. That's how, you know, I know Amit 10 years, maybe more, um, You know, we've always been preoccupied with entrepreneurship, with building communities. We did a big event like 10 years ago in my place in Sao Paulo. We called it Creme de la Creme. (laughs) We invited founders. Uh, We've always been kind of thinking he, he, I'm Brazilian Irish, he's Brazilian Indian. So I say we're like the best of the empire in Brazil. And so he was building hospitals and doing like kind of uh, service work in India. For those that are marginalized and i mean i share that by my work in Planned Parenthood with those that are really marginalized and voiceless so we really like have been real partners in that and now i'm so happy he has Tao and that's a smaller fund but it's growing and it's just you know for i mean it's not small for just beginning um and i think can play a really big role we're lucky that someone again it's the ecosystem right like i mean it's a rock star he's Stanford Harvard Business School i mean grew up in Brasília, like <laughs> the odds <laughs> were not stacked for him. So he's a real, you know, leader himself. So
1: I think any, any entrepreneur is lucky to be part of you know, their journey. Amit's amazing. It must be awesome to work with him. We're, for listeners who have not heard, uh, we also spoke to him at Estelle Around the World and we learned about Cristina and, and Fido through Amit. And we're like, ah, we have to speak to her too. So yeah, a shout out to Amit here. And now we wanted to move on to another ecosystem. We wanted to get your view about the ecosystem in LATEM and more specifically in Brazil. How do you see the ecosystem developing or how have you seen it develop in the last few years and what's your outtake and your view for the VC tech ecosystem for Brazil in the future?
2: I think it looks super good. And I would not have said that a few years ago. I think there's been some transformative companies and deals, you know, like New Bank. So I think that it's really putting Brazil, uh, I think is it Loft? There's another real estate tech. I know A16Z is in it. So in white combinator there was uh culture rocks you know for, so he was in my batch yeah.
1: so like uh, culture yeah. rocks is estella so oh there you go <laughs> shout out look guys.
2: So and they rock um i think there's like amazing founders and i think there was always the opportunity i mean it's like so much opportunity huge market that stays and tons of unmet needs and you know and lots of entrepreneurial kind of minded people so I think that has always been what's changed is i think the gap to really get into that founder culture is closing so you can like access y Combinate, you know what i mean you can do things you can learn online right and create more of that ecosystem. I think there's been also capital. I mean, that's pretty transformative, right? That these funds and like Brex also has been another one that put things on the map. So I think that elevates kind of creates an aura. And it really is that environment where you want people to do well, because then they put money back in funds, and they help, foster an entrepreneurship environment you can't just have like one or two stars it kind of this doesn't go you really need like a lot and um i think that's kind of really i'm really noticing big signs of that it's really interesting and i think it puts pressure also on the local funds maybe like you guys where you know if someone can get terms from you know silicon valley terms you need to step up and i think it goes you know i I notice here like angel investing, like anyone here, I want to write a check. Like I don't even care because I just know the likely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just know the likelihood that they're going to get funding and doing Y Combinator, you know, success is like access to capital. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know? yeah. So you have to live always the fault. Alive is one of the YC tenants like the fault alive. Cause you don't know, you need time. You need, some, you need time. So I think those are very positive dimensions. From the negative are things like, for example, I'm scared to live in Brazil with my kids and all that. Like, I just am. When I know COVID has been a situation. So all this political stuff has kind of been annoying. You know, you read about it and you're like, oh, I mean, it's not great here either, but it's like, so I think creating a little bit of more of that, I thought Brazil, but look, it's not that the US escapes either, but I did think it was kind of patriarchal. So I, that makes me nervous a little bit. Like, I don't really like that. So then you are miss, you know, half of the talent (laughs) is already at a, like, you know, it's like a numbers game. (laughs) Like if half is already at a disadvantage, you have half of the chances of like going forward, right? Because they're already, I mean, so Saudi Arabia, but you know, it's not great either. And it's not just in Brazil, it's everywhere here too, but I think there's breakouts and, and you need, I just think it's more, more of an obstacle. So that's an area that like, for me personally, I, and I'm very connected in Brazil, you know, like all this stuff. And even with all of that, and I brought capital, a huge fund to Brazil service, huge fund, I could write billion dollar check. I could do it. I mean, with the fund, right? Not my own. And I had ministers involved. But it's not easy. Like, there's some crony capitalism, yeah. that the corruption stuff.
0: Yeah, you know, and people get tired of it, right? Because uh, anyone that doesn't want to, to deal with it end, uh, ends up uh, looking for other alternatives uh, in life. And when a country loses the thought leaders to other countries, then we lose our ability to innovate and, and to bring uh, solutions to our unmet needs. So I totally agree with you. It's a huge uh, issue. Mm-hmm. yeah
2: and i felt that also i had done you know kind of really focused in academics and gone to very top schools and i wasn't sure sometimes that really mattered yeah it kind of felt like it mattered more who was my father in my bank account not like what did i do so that bothered me also and again that's not just in brazil but it bothered me in the sense of like okay i don't have an edge we're here is the edge, yeah. the intellectual. So the intellectual and the, the ability to persevere is so big and so valued because things are complicated a bit. Like, right, it's tech, it's deep and the life science. It's, um, you have to kind of have an education in a way. You don't have to, but, you know, I'm not saying formal education, but you have to kind of want to learn. You have to want to really learn. Yeah. And you put that with like really entrepreneurial spirit, if you have it, and grit. And you have capital. So I think those things to nurture are really important to win. And uh, if you're preoccupied with winning, you're preoccupied with these things, right? So for me, that's how I would look at it. I would say overall, like entrepreneurs, it's gone forward probably pretty massively, actually. That's really amazing. And then the parts that maybe are a bit more in shadow that maybe could go forward a bit more would be with the gender stuff, and then more the class, almost corruption. They almost, I feel, go together a bit. That stuff is like entrepreneurs, is like not, you know what I mean? But the more you create the entrepreneurial, the true entrepreneurial, right? Like when folks are really crushing it, are really creating companies and innovating, then I think it helps all of those other, it's kind of a virtuous cycle. So it's probably a very important moment, It might be like even a really important moment, because if you can get that momentum, it could. Because I know, for example, lots of people left out of the Brazilian economy that should be in it and should be playing a bigger role in GDP creation.
0: Yeah, this is something that we discuss a lot, because I think uh, that uh, the innovation ecosystem in Brazil can, in fact, uh, change the entire landscape of how we do business. And this will be a ref- will certainly impact uh, politics. And, and we might address a little bit of the, this issue on corruption, because at the end of the day, it's always the government with a private institution uh, involved in, in a corruption uh, scandal. And I have this thesis for Brazil, but it's still, when I talk about it to people like people that understand uh, more than I do of uh, economics, people think that it's uh, still too early, that the ecosystem is still too small to have this whole power of uh, changing the entire landscape so far.
2: I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm more of an optimistic type person. So I actually do think that there are tipping points and I do think I mean, who would have, I remember the first time I went to Facebook headquarters, like Charles Sandberg eating a carrot, you know, like this here down the street. (laughs) I lived in Brazil, actually, and I flew in to go with a group and it wasn't publicly traded. Nobody even knew, is it going to like make any money? It was like not super clear. It was very, you know, security to walk in. (laughs) It was like, like who knew, you know? So now it's, I think the valuation, is it a trillion dollars? I don't know. It's something like trillion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at Google, there's like, is there competition to Google? No. So these are pretty unusual, large things that just people made. Like they just did it, you know, they just did it. And probably nobody thought this was coming. Yeah. So I do think very, very big things could happen and then be very transformative because now who... Who has all the information? It's not the government's Google. (laughs) So I think it's like so transformative. I'm I'm, I'm literally down the street from them. So you have to understand, I'm very in it. But I kind of think like, I'm actually shocked what the private sector can do. (laughs) Like massively shocked. Like it's so much, you know, between Moderna with the vaccines, where Google and Facebook are at. And then I hear of like, I mean, it's left, right and center here, all the stuff with AI, even that we're working with. I mean I just have a very few what takes a whole year of an academic lab to do, we just do it in two months. Like it's crazy. So yeah, I don't know. I think actually things could radically change. I really do. But I'm kind of that person.
0: The next top uh, blackswan to come to Brazil will not be a virus, will be an entrepreneur with a <laughs> with a very big positive impact in the economics. <laughs> so yeah.
2: yeah, and also the economics, you know like the alternative almost economic systems like with bitcoin and crypto and like all the stuff like that was a total i mean it's just you know what i mean if you don't have much faith in the government like there are things kind of getting created that you know you don't know how big they'll get so it just could go like you know, who would have thought new bank? I remember when I met them in the beginning, like who would have thought that would have been made a big, right? Like, so it looked impossible to get into the Brazilian banking system. Impossible. Right. I tried actually. So like, I tried to buy a bank in Brazil with servers. So it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. And actually it was hard to take foreign money because it, if there was a problem, you could go to the limited partner. Yeah. So it was very, very complicated. And, uh, I know it's not exactly a bank, but you know, it's a fintech. So, I think there's a lot, and I think it's just keep like more, more. And I hope some of those big superpower people that I know that they are helping simulate the future, like the Fundação Estudar, and Fundação Leona, are really important. Actually,
0: it is because okay. of
2: helping. It's really important. So I think more, more of that, more. Totally agree.
0: Yeah. Oh my god! What an interesting conversation. And at the end of the day, we didn't see how time uh, flew. Christina, it was a big pleasure. I totally forgot that uh, we were recording, <laughs> which is actually a good uh, sign. <laughs> and we are past our time here. So um, I just wanted to close with a um, philosophical question uh, that we normally do. And you already said that you are optimistic. And uh, I would love to hear from you. How far can we dream about um, our world uh, Creating the solutions that we need for sustainability and how are the main issues and uh, problems that uh, you would expect uh, entrepreneurs and innovators to address over the next few years? Number one,
2: uh, I mean, I think the climate change thing is really real. It's a real problem, a risk factor that we don't know when that threshold gets hit and something goes really, you know, it's almost like we're overharvesting the environment so that equilibrium, I think the threshold could go and it's a big problem. I think it's really real and it's a big issue. So I'm hoping people that are really doing amazing stuff from that. And I think it needs to up level big time. Having said that, talking about founders and entrepreneurs, you know, who would have said Tesla? You know, Elon Musk, like I remember when he did the little car, went to even, and, and the same trip <laughs> with his brother, we went to the little, it was like these little cars and I was like, okay, it's cute, cute, you know, like who would ever have said what the revolution and the market cap that Tesla has, right? So. It's a big deal. And here, everyone, I mean, people really drive electric, uh, where I live, very specifically, I won't say that's a general American thing at all. But basically, you know, you can see how founders impact. And obviously, there's all these companies looking at Mars and looking how to sleep to go to Mars, everything. I mean, people really, they are thinking about it. I feel, wish we could just like fix the earth a bit more. <laughs> um yeah like very seriously and um, brazil's a big part you know the amazon's in brazil so if i had more hours in my day maybe that's something i'd take on more importantly but um i mean that's very serious so i think that's the part that's very a big deal and we just don't know the threshold having said that in the life sciences bio world i mean so exciting booming I mean, just Moderna, as I've mentioned a few times, you know, printing, getting the genomics of the virus and then printing a vaccine in two weeks and the same vaccine everyone took, like that's just unheard of and completely a tectonic shift entirely. So there's a whole world in life sciences that just went to a next level. So that's very hopeful in terms of, you know, from a humanity point of view. I think one other thing, you know, is just to keep an eye, an eye and this is also very brazil thing to comment on is the inequality in the world um because then it could be that it becomes like one world is you know having access the others the environment is for everyone everyone's suffering there's like fires here and problems but the inequality can then that can be a big issue and that um you know i'm also inspired by this here a bit you know there's a lot of focus on mindfulness and mental health Mm -hmm. and spirituality people really into it and super normal and even investigating alternative consciousness, I mean, people are into it. They're doing it. And it's giving them more ways to view the world and life and things, uh, connectivity that we share between us as a species. So I feel like there's probably a lot of founders <laughs> getting into that stuff <laughs> and how they see the world is more harmonious, which I think is really good. And they're connecting to the earth also, Um So I think that directionality, I sound super hippie saying that, but I'm just telling you really it's like just happening here. You know, uh, people do take mind altering things to kind of feel the earth and get ideas and things like that. And while I myself, I'm not into that, you know, I have little kids and all of that. I've never been. um, I do observe that it creates an opening and like a way of looking at the world and then coupled with entrepreneurship, because a lot of people are founders I think it's kind of powerful. I mean, I think it's creation of really like maybe really the future is really coming from that type of stuff. Really alternative. So I think that's exciting.
1: Wow, wonderful. No, this was amazing. We usually have a final icebreaker, which is what are you excited about, what you're scared about. But you gave us excellent amount of different inspirations and issues we have to look at. So I think we tackle that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It was awesome, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you for inspiring us. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. It was an inspiring and very pleasant conversation for this evening. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care. Ciao.